0: Hey guys, Daniel here. Kyle and I discuss a lot of things in this podcast. We talk about fires. We talk about the benefits of games with our friends. Esprit de corps and uh, like typical, our conversation meanders between pretty lighthearted and not as lighthearted.
1: We are live.
0: Good Good? morning, Kyle. Oh, jeez. We can separate that out. Hey, Daniel. (laughs) Good morning, Kyle.
1: It is a good morning. How are you doing today?
0: Uh, doing, doing swell. Actually, I, uh, I told you I was was pouring some concrete.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask about that.
0: Yeah, so about 20 minutes before we started, did I tell you this already? I tripped and fell on the side of my, I fell on my ribs, essentially.
1: Yeah, you were telling me that.
0: Uh, you sound a little more showman-y today, a little more radio host.
1: I'm not trying to be.
0: You're just, you have more inflection. No, so, um, I was planning on doing, uh, like a circuit, and... Oh, yeah. I just, like, I was, I was out cleaning up some stuff from the, from the poor on Thursday, and, mm-hmm. like... I just, if I broke it, then I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to exacerbate it. It was feeling really good yesterday towards the end of the day, but not. But then this morning it was. It,
1: Is our osteopath friend uh in town?
0: Well, actually, he may not be in town. He's, um, I believe it's uh, him and his wife are celebrating something. Another kid? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. But yeah, so so he, he said we could we could meet up later this week.
1: He's always a good place to start in my mind. You could also he actually he, oh, I was gonna say you could you could also go down to the the dock he shadowed the last four weeks, I guess not the same doc, but one of the docks he's shadowed down in Milwaukee.
0: Um, yeah, he's actually he was talking about doing a um he asked if he could do a case study on me. So, I, I don't know. Oh, for your head? Yeah, so I, I got hit in the head with a rock when I was 18. Okay. And started getting um, sun headaches after that. Did I tell you all this?
1: You told me that he, he described your head as the most like a rock he had ever worked on.
0: <laughs> yeah, so there was something that was like some of the muscles were stuck. I'm not quite sure because you're... Your head, your skull is not actually one piece, but it's almost. Pl- oh, it almost made me think of plates, like, um, like tectonic plates. Yeah, yeah. Where they, they move, they move, but very slowly, and it's not like your head shifts anyway. It's not quite like that, but there should be some movement. Uh uh-huh. um, Anyway, he loosened it up, um, and I haven't had near as many headaches as I was. It's been, and and while he was doing it, I um. I saw it was was quite a peculiar experience. Um, It was just like a lot of a lot of things were happening with my vision at the time. Uh huh. And um, anyway, so it was interesting. So he asked if he could do a case study on me.
1: Was the stuff going on with your vision actually while he was working on you, or was it? Yes. Okay, that's fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was yeah. It was like uh, whites and blues and greens and of um. You know how you sometimes if you. If you look too close to the sun, you have like a sunspot in your vision. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. But when he took his hands off my head, it went away.
1: I'm curious, Have so you mentioned that you've had fewer headaches. Have all the changes been physiological for you? Or have you noticed any psychological changes too?
0: I don't feel like I am that well acquainted with myself to differentiate how I was psychologically prior and after. Okay. I don't know that. Yeah, I just don't know that I can answer that question with any um, degree of confidence. I'm just
1: always curious when people do things around the brain, um, how far reaching those, those, um, treatments go.
0: So earlier you had mentioned a few topics that you were wanting to journal on. I've got your notes up. Was one of them, one of the things you want to discuss about men and women related to Xenophon?
1: Um, we could talk about Xenophon. Uh, that quote by Xenophon was just, It's actually not a quote by Xenophon. It's a quote from a blog post about Xenophon and his view of the home and family. Um, I was introduced to Xenophon and his views by an author named C.R. Wiley, who gave a talk at a conference last year on the home.
0: Is Xenophon a... What do you call it?
1: He was a philosopher back in... The Greek Roman era.
0: Okay, Stoic. That was the word I was looking for.
1: Huh. He's not Zeno, who was the the or originator of Stoicism. But yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's from the same time period.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I've got you had mentioned my my. Normally, I'm a little more prepared for our podcast. Normally, I've I've put some stuff in the show notes, but you might notice uh, there's just the uh, basically just the template and nothing else on it. Well, you did have something about the Lord of the
1: Rings in there, so. Uh,
0: that's that's the template. That's part of the template, though. We said we were going to do this through through me reading. At least the uh the Lord of the Rings. But I didn't I haven't really moved forward. I mean, I am actually I am a little bit further forward than than when we last talked. I uh Gollum is leading Sam and uh they've passed the Black Gate at this point. They're into uh-huh. they've met I'm not quite sure who they are because they definitely didn't show up in the movies. Uh but they're riders on horses and Uh, Some of them are left to guard Sam and Frodo. Gollum managed to get away. Oh, they definitely show up in the movie. They do. Apparently it's been long enough that I haven't seen, that I don't remember them.
1: They may not have had horses in the movie. Mm. They may have just been cloaked men with bows and arrows. Yeah. Who showed up right around the time the Hera dream, the Oliphant, shows up that Sam gets really excited about. Do you remember that section of the movie?
0: I do, but I'm not there in the book yet. No Oliphants.
1: Right. There aren't any Oliphants there in the book. Um, But later. Yeah.
0: He does. Oh, do you mean when he's talking about it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a funny little... I think that that Tolkien was pretty pleased with himself.
1: With Sam talking about the Oliphant?
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's where I'm at with that. Have you... Yeah. How are you... Like, So are you reading any books lately?
1: So I haven't read much from books this week um or actually the last two weeks because as as you know I was on the road
0: vacation with the fam uh
1: with with my family an extended family vacationing and we were doing a lot of swimming and going on some hikes and and then we'd get back to camp and basically set up stuff to make dinner and get stuff ready and talk until it was dark so I didn't do a whole lot of reading um what stuff I did do was the
0: journaling. That wasn't just your direct family. That was additional people.
1: Yeah. So it was, uh, my wife's family. Yeah. Okay. And then we hit spots along the way that more of my wife's family. So that was fun. That's actually something worth bringing up is, is how her grandparents are, despite being in their late seventies, early eighties, um, have, have continued to be productive members of society rather than just retire and live off of the work they've done, which I think is a mm-hmm. really interesting example of being faithful with what they have and a really cool example to emulate.
0: And why is that? Or just just that they're not at home doing nothing.
1: Yeah, they're they're not at home doing nothing. They're still they're still producing as as they're able. Her her grandpa jokes a lot about how much slower he's gotten and how many things he's But then he's talking about how many things he has left to do. So it's very much he's very forward looking Mm -hmm. and and her grandma is just always going, doing stuff. And she's interesting because she has some health stuff where if she were to fall down the stairs or get cut in any way, uh, there's a good chance that she would bleed out, actually. So the fact that she's maintained her level of activity and continued to push herself with that risk, I think is really cool. And it's, it's instructive to me to not let things that might slow someone else down become excuses for inaction or self-pity or anything that would... Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, do you think that's a? So, I remember at one point listening to some very like high level people talk about how they. Well, it actually is a little bit reminds me of the quote as well from Chariots of Fire. But these guys were basically talking about how you can't be highly successful if you don't have a chip on your shoulder. If you if you feel like you can rest, then like that you can be done. Like that's when you lose it.
1: The quote about Harold Abram
0: yeah you wanna you probably know it better than i do
1: i i don't remember i i remember this the scene you're talking about but i don't
0: i've got i've got ten seconds to prove like why I'm here on earth something along those lines
1: yeah when he's talking to his girlfriend
0: uh, I haven't seen the movie i just know that quote okay yeah it's a good I, movie. And I know I I, I I would
1: recommend watching it
0: okay in any case uh So then that that brings me back to thinking about your wife's grandparents. She like they um, it, it sounds like you're pretty starkly differentiating between feeling like they have something like you don't see it as them doing what like they're not doing it out of a need to prove anything. No. So how do you is there something that
1: they're doing it because they see the opportunity to do it and they they enjoy taking advantage of that opportunity.
0: I just know that I, at some level, have in the past, and something I have to continue to f- fight against um, is idolizing productivity. And so I, my, mm. a red flag went up for me when you said, "and they're still productive members of society." Okay. Like their value, their value is not in that they can still produce and be tax generating for the state. Not that that's what you were suggesting, but. Um,
1: but I see where you would kind of have a red flag come up when I use that terminology, Mm -hmm. particularly for people who are closer to the end of the line than the beginning. Yeah. Because that is something we do need to be really careful about with any person valuing human life for the fact that it is made in the image of God, not for its utility.
0: Yeah. Because we very quickly turn into a state that um, puts people down after they retire, essentially. Which would definitely lead to longer working lives if, if you only had five or ten years after you, um, after you stopped working. That would be, I, we're, I don't think we're anywhere near that. But yeah, that was just a, just a thought I had, I guess. Yeah,
1: I think that's understandable. Oh, I was just saying how understandable it is that we need to be careful about watching ourselves for the utilitarian uh, perspective on human life.
0: Yeah. So do you want to talk more? I mean, there's so this quote that you have, uh, which I'm happy to read from Xenophon we started talking about, which could lead into some interesting conversations or we could talk about um, something from my notes.
1: Sure. Let's let's go and dive down this path, uh, recognizing the quote is from a blog post that was paraphrasing Xenophon, not Xenophon's actual words. Okay. but with that with that caveat.
0: Yeah so what you wrote here from aristocrats of the soul for although it is the man that excuse me for although it is through the man that wealth comes into the house it's the woman who manages the goods of the house and controls whether that wealth increases or is merely thrown away so yeah why did that jump out to you what does that mean to you um yeah how did you well, actually first first how did how did you come across this uh, this blog?
1: I came across it because of the the talk from CR Wiley where he mentioned Xenophon as um, an example of the ancient understanding of men and women as they relate to each other and interact in a domestic relationship in a marriage relationship which I think is really important to bring up the marriage aspect of this that's not necessarily a general statement about all men and all women. It's a statement about man and woman working together in marriage. But anyway, Wiley brought up this, not this quote, but he brought up Xenophon and his ideas about the household and the family. And so I wanted to find a little bit more. So I did a quick Google search and found this blog that was talking about xenophon and his views on home economics and so i sort of skimmed it and then found this quote which which echoed something that um a paraphrase of i think it was a paraphrase of xenophon that uh wiley brought up in his talk which is that man works outside the house and women work inside the house the woman works inside the house and he brought that up in the context of the Industrial Revolution. And he talked about how before the Industrial Revolution, generally you had the family working together on their plot of land in a more agricultural setting. Sure. And, and in that setting, the men would do, stereotypically or um, in a, more normal circumstance, obviously you had exceptions, but in a more normal circumstance, you would have the man going out, doing a lot of the working with the livestock, plowing, that sort of thing. And then the woman would take the produce that came in, process it, prepare it for the market. And, and there was sort of a symbiotic relationship there. And then you get to the industrial revolution and
0: well, okay. Can I, can I pause you there just for a second?
1: Yeah. Yeah let's let's talk about this this view of society
0: so what you're this yeah this this idyllic kind of um it's almost like a roman slash uh so to to you know uh, there's this there was a roman ideal to go that a man would go and and work a public life and then go work on his vineyard for the for his retirement right mm-hmm. but and there is also this there's also that idea kind of there was a period of time in the United States that uh, there, where there was a large proportion of the society, but it was only like it wasn't even—I don't think—fifty percent of people worked on farms. Like, or, you think it was more than that? You think it was well? Like, there's just there's just not very a very long time. I'm thinking maybe two hundred years total where the economic situation that you just laid out would have taken place.
1: I, I think actually a very large percentage of the U.S. population. Did work on farms um,
0: as their main source of income
1: as their main source of. Well, see, this is the caveat. A lot of those people were only counted as three fifths of a person.
0: But that doesn't. the OK, so talking about slavery, right? Right, right. Uh, but those people did not have the situation that you just laid out where the man would go and work out of the house and the woman would work in their house, like wouldn't manage their economics Slaves didn't really have economics to manage.
1: Right, right, yes.
0: So, and maybe, but maybe they, maybe they did work inside the house and they did have things to manage. It just money, money wasn't one of them. I don't know. I just I get the impression that 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 was it's in my head that that's not the situation for slaves.
1: Right, right.
0: In America. Um. So yeah, okay. But I still, you know, let's say it was seventy percent of the po- U.S. population was working in this kind of idyllic. Uh, man, working the farms, woman working inside the house, like that worked from the. Yeah, so 1600s was what 1600s. I was thinking. Uh, up through the.
1: Industrial Revolution in the early 1800s.
0: Civil War was like 1850s, right?
1: 1860s. I mean, Eli Whitney with the cotton gin was mid 19th century. Um.
0: So. So 1600 through... Mid to early 19th century. Uh, 1850. So 250 years. 200, 300 at the most in the US. But I, I mean, so so you think in other places...
1: In the US. For Europeans in the US.
0: So in Europe, this was a situation as well for a much longer period of time. I don't know why I'm being... I don't know why I'm being so persnickety about it. I don't know why I'm needing such an exact... I just... It seems like you've painted a an idyllic picture for a, a relatively short amount of time. Very
1: idyllic picture, for sure. In
0: human history. I don't know that it's not valuable, but I just, I guess I wanted that context.
1: Well, I think if you look at the feudal system, even if you had, say, your kind of prototypical um Vocations in that system. You'd have your town blacksmith. You'd have your town weaver. You'd have your town shoemaker. um, Your brewer. Your brewer. Well, that was done by the church a lot of the time. You'd have, by the monasteries, you'd have your farmers, and then you'd have the the lord or the king who ruled over his, the noble, who ruled over his area Mm -hmm. and collected income from that. Which? In the feudal system. But you still had, yeah.
0: Started towards the like middle to end of the, there was like a proto-feudal system in the Roman Empire.
1: Right, right. That's sort of the origin of that. Mm-hmm. And the. With the Roman household. Which gets into some really interesting conversations about what does household mean when you yeah. look at the New Testament and talk about all the households there. But that would be a total rabbit trail from this.
0: Uh, we're already pretty far <laughs> afield.
1: But I'd like to take it back to the, yeah. Sure. The, the Xenophon Men form. and women and their relationships. Okay,
0: all right. Let's let's move forward onto that then.
1: So did you have any more questions about the situation that Wiley and Xenophon set up in uh men working outside the home, women working inside the home?
0: No. I think we have more than enough context and
1: Okay. We both agree that we're not historians and we both need to do more research on this topic. Nope. But nope. We'll one, of take us, it. one of us one nope. of us
0: agrees with that and the other I'm pretty sure that we are sufficiently hit. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Anyway, go on, go on.
1: (laughs) Okay, so he made the point that at the start of the Industrial Revolution, it wasn't just men who went into the factories. It was the whole family that went into the factory. Hmm. And then women and children started just getting chewed up by the factories. And so reformers went, you know, this isn't a great idea. So women and children got sent out of the factory and you just left men in the factory. This is early 20th century. Okay. When in, late and, late 19th early 20th
0: century and when you say uh, reformers you mean uh, social progressives yes okay. yes
1: and so then we had this system where so industrial industrialization put in this system where men went to the factory women and children stayed out of it around the same time you had a formalized education set up to train children to be um, in that industrial system <clears throat> excuse me And then we get to... So for a long time, men are the ones going to the factory. Women and children are at home or in school. And then we get to the modern day, and the factory is no longer the factory. The the knowledge economy is actually very conducive to both men and women working together again. But many of those jobs exclude children in a way that they wouldn't have previously, they weren't excluded in the time when you had sort of the family business.
0: So what I hear you saying, and and I'm going to try an example, is that you could have a, with the knowledge work, you could have uh, my wife and I start up a consulting business or something like that from home if we wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and previously, so in this, you know, in times past, the the man would, would work. And then it kind of as soon as the kids were able, they would help dad with uh, getting tools. Dad and mom. Dad and mom uh, with the laundry, with tools, with, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just came up with those examples. But there are probably better ones. Um, and now uh, mom and dad, let's just say, are, are sitting in, a, in an office, you know, a home office that they've set up. And there's really no place for the child to help with that. Is that am I getting what you're saying?
1: Um actually I'm more focused on the not the home office but the um corporate office. Because mm-hmm. I think there probably are ways with the home office where the child can be integrated and help mom and dad with different tasks that aren't related to um organizing a spreadsheet on the computer.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: But it does require some creativity. So that's sort of what Wiley was pointing towards with the concept of, he's he's really big on trying to get family businesses going that enable the whole family to work together and learn how to, so you can train your kids to work and value their ability to help and not feel helpless. Hmm
0: yeah and like Mom and Dad are like i I basically had no idea what my working life was gonna look like prior to being in it right right because it's not like I could go I don't know hang around at the office with um with my mom um I maybe could have with my dad he was a he's a mechanic
1: right. so that would have been something if if you were he, he could have created opportunities for you, but it it would have required some flexibility on his end.
0: yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't know that he was at that spot. Um, I did kind of, right, right. I did kind of help with a, I don't know, I guess since I was 14, I, I've kind of been working. Um, I did a manual labor job and simple stuff. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. So what, uh, like, what is, what is a directive from that? Or what's a, here's, here's what we should, here's how we should change or um, what would be ideal? Well, for me
1: and, and my wife, what I think we want to do is, is look for ways to, even while I'm still working as a mechanical engineer for a corporation, create opportunities for um, the kids either in an actual uh, money-making business or in uh, keeping up the house and keeping up the yard, mm-hmm. create opportunities for them to um, be meaningful contributors to, to the family as they are as fits their abilities. So right now, um, one of the things that my wife has figured out is my son likes throwing away diapers. So when ever diapers get changed, she, she'll, um, hand them off to him and he'll toddle off to the, to the trash can, throw them away. And he's very pleased with that.
0: That's awesome. What a champ. And he doesn't even break them apart and look, look what's inside.
1: Um, we've, uh, made it so that he doesn't try to do that. The, the, uh, although the thing he was most interested in is using them as a ball.
0: Gross. That's pretty funny, though. Yeah. Uh, cool.
1: That's just one really small example, but yeah, I think it's a good example that fits into, inside the principle of, of what we're trying to go, go towards.
0: Well, and I think, uh, you know, at, at, under a certain age, all kids, it seems like, have a desire to help mom and dad and after a certain age some kids don't or um, they've been trained out of it
1: yeah i was listening to another talk from the same conference that
0: what conference was it
1: it was uh, the grace agenda from 2019 hmm. the the title was keep your kids hmm. so it was about god's promises of um Generational faithfulness and also the the challenges and perils associated with with those promises um, for kids remaining in the faith.
0: And who who puts on that conference? Christchurch. Okay.
1: But at any rate, one of the and and it's kind of fuzzy in my head right now, but but one of the comments that one of the presenters made was on trying to create a situation where kids enjoy their parents and where kids want to emulate their parents beyond just that 12 to 13 age range when a lot of times you see kids go off and do their own thing Mm -hmm. and and one of the uh, things they pointed out was if we're constantly as parents stuck in our computers stuck in our phones stuck at work and treating our kids like they're a distraction and a nuisance, eventually around that age of 12 to 14, they'll figure out that mom and dad think I'm a nuisance. Well, I actually think mom and dad are a nuisance mm. myself. And so that um, our attitude towards our kids when they're young and interested in us will have, in in most circumstances, dramatic a dramatic impact on how our kids view us when they get to be in the high school age.
0: That's a really interesting. Um, hmm. I found that I say that's interesting. That's a response that I often have uh, as I've been. at
1: So is this a good interesting or a bad interesting?
0: No, I never use it badly. Pretty much never. If I really don't. Like- never the sarcastic. No, if I uh, if I really don't like something, I'll say, and I don't want to engage. I'll say, well, that's an idea. That's my. Got it. If you hear me say that, I'll... you can you can push back and say, "What do you mean when you say that?" And... I'll be watching for that. <laughs> um, but that's a that's not a fruit I would have expected from. Well, I, yeah. So you're you've you've planted something when the when the kids are young, and that's kind of what you're saying. That's what it grows into is that that you were disinterested before, and now they're disinterested in you. Right. Right. It Makes sense. I just wouldn't have been able to connect those ideas Uh, we uh we mention yeah i guess i guess because you and i are just listening to the knowledge project at this point on a fairly regular basis or at least i am i don't know that you are aren't
1: i i listened to three episodes three or four episodes a couple weeks ago and i haven't picked it up since i've been listening to the grace agenda um from last year that's what i've been listening to recently
0: gotcha i've been listening to that and then tiny habits uh by bj fogg uh-huh um but one of the things that, i want to say it was Derek sivers or Sivers or he's the, the yeah yeah he um cd baby cd baby guy yeah he uh him and shane were talking and i think it was shane who mentioned that he has a really good i think the word he used was heuristic but i'm not sure if correctly but just a, a an easy way to identify unhappy parents or parents who are going to be very unhappy. And it's the idea that, and I, I've seen this in myself and I, I don't remember why I caught it. I'm sure that I heard from somebody, but just if you're always looking for as soon as they don't, they aren't wearing diapers, as soon as they're in school, as soon as they're in uh, whatever, as soon as this next season, then I will be able to, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. relax or be a little more or
1: enjoy them
0: or yeah or anything like that um i don't have kids but i know that i will catch myself like as soon as this project is done and i i try to get away from that because it's a really uh, like this is the life that i'm living i'm not
1: i'm and it's wonderful and it's joyful
0: absolutely
1: and it's hard
0: Mm mm-hmm But it's just, you know, when I, it's like a big red flag goes off that something, something's wrong with me if I'm having the thought, or rather when I'm having the thought, when I'm done with this portion.
1: Well, that actually ties in really well with what we've been reading in the little book on the Christian life. As we look at trials and bearing our cross like christ yeah we aren't go ahead
0: i was just gonna say well it was just a general thought for the entire at least this last week's chapter but i want to i want to hear your thought
1: so so my thought is that if we're constantly looking beyond the trial if we're constantly looking beyond the stage of life we're in if we're constantly looking beyond the stage of life that our child is in that's that's showing Dissatisfaction with what God has given to us at the present time, and that dis- dissatisfaction is a sin that we need to repent of, and it's it's a sin that it, it's the same sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden, where they asked, "Is is the situation God set up really good?
0: Mm-hmm. Or is it the best? Or could it be better?"
1: Right, right. Is there some way that I could make this better mm-hmm. on my own? Um, Ability or wisdom, which I mean, as we were discussing a little book on the Christian life, your brother-in-law,
0: who which is by which is which is by John Calvin,
1: right? It's a edited and modernized version of John Calvin's uh, chapter from the Institutes on sanctification, I believe.
0: Okay, so my brother-in-law,
1: but but he he asked a really good or insightful question, I thought, where he was trying to tease apart how do we know if we're doing the right thing and moving beyond suffering? And how do we know if we're doing the wrong thing in moving beyond suffering? Do you remember that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. And that's a, that's a tough question for a couple of reasons. Like one, I am not going to say that Christ didn't suffer for, you know, like one of the things that, that was mentioned is that like in that, in that chapter, this is chapter 3 that we've been talking about and he just i get the impression that john calvin's life was difficult and that he expected this life to be very difficult
1: yeah i mean he got run out of town at least once from his pastorate he lost his wife to childbirth um yeah it wasn't easy
0: like i get the impression because i'm not physically suffering uh not really that it would be easy to draw the conclusion that because I'm not suffering and because I haven't really suffered in any significant way I mean there I mean that I'm not saying I haven't suffered at all but it's very it's very easy for me to consider people throughout time and space and uh the ways that I've suffered have been mostly from my own doing and then mild right you know my parents split up uh
1: yeah I was going I mean I wasn't going to bring that up but that seems like a Pretty significant trial,
0: but my, like I've been, I've never, I've almost never been in fear of my life. I've I haven't been persecuted for uh, my faith in any significant way. I haven't. Um, like our government is relatively stable. We'll see in a couple months here. <laughs> yeah.
1: So one one thought on this, Daniel, is that we we are standing on. A foundation that's been built by people like calvin and and luther and then mm-hmm. the the puritans in england the the separatists who came over to america and started over at plymouth rock we're standing on the foundation of a lot of people who did suffer mm-hmm. so that we could have the opportunity to um take the blessing of of peace that we have right now as you mentioned it's not by no means perfect But as you also mentioned, we don't have to suffer through a lot of the things, physical things, that people in the past have had to suffer through, which I think...
0: Well, and even people today. Oh, yeah. I
1: guess I was focused on people in Pacific Northwest America. Okay. But that's a good clarification that the world is by no means free of uh, bodily suffering and the threat of physical harm. Mm -hmm. But... By and large, in our lives, we haven't, because of where we've grown up, which is a product of the sacrifices made by people in the past, uh, we don't have to face the same kinds of suffering, which I think gives us the opportunity to um, do things and put our energy into things that someone riding away from the Inquisition in the 1500s would not have had the opportunity to do.
0: Sure, yeah, okay, I can see that. I just, uh, it's hard for me to see, um, like, (laughs) I'm having a hard time getting my thoughts straight on this.
1: So in, in all-
0: But it seemed like, here, can I just, I'm just gonna try. So it seemed like John Calvin's main focus was on our suffering and the good things that it produced, which is fine. But the focus itself was on the suffering, and I don't, like, it, even in Christ's suffering, like, why did he do it? It wasn't, it wasn't for the obedience, though he was taught obedience through that. It was for the joy that was set before him, that he, like, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, despite sufferings, or in the midst of suffering, And that's like a almost direct quote of John Piper.
1: The first part, not the...
0: No, he clarifies in desiring God.
1: Does he say despite suffering or through suffering?
0: uh, Through suffering, in the midst of suffering, not despite suffering. I don't think he says that. Okay,
1: because that would be a significant difference, I think.
0: Yeah. What do you... You got your little book there?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things I was thinking about is how we're in the middle of an argument here, right? We're we're in the middle of, of Calvin's writing on this, so... This isn't a blog post that he's writing where he'll be getting to the point right away. He's developing a full systematic understanding of what's going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I did find it easier to... I feel like chapters 1 and 2 were a little more of a scattershot than this one. It seemed fairly focused. I don't know if you would agree.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I felt like there was a lot more brought up that reinforced itself in chapter three than in the first two chapters. The first two chapters had different trails or different. It was more scattershot, as you said, whereas chapter three, I started seeing the same theme be picked up again and again Mm -hmm. um, throughout the chapter.
0: Yeah. What are you looking for there?
1: Oh, I was looking to see if there was anything that talked about um, looking at God as opposed to looking at suffering Because I don't think he's making the point that we should look at suffering. I think he's making the point that we should look through suffering to God.
0: Okay. Yeah. And that that could be something.
1: But I don't have a quote that explicitly demonstrates that, which is part of the reason I brought up.
0: Then it doesn't count, Kyle. (laughs) Remember, you have to laugh in your microphone. You can't just smirk.
1: Yeah. It's hard because I enjoy
0: smirking. That wasn't funny enough. Yeah, I know you do. Well, do you want to, are you going to look for a quote and me just sit here and watch or you want to move on?
1: We could move on. Where'd you like to move on to? I guess we could go back to the, what we were talking about originally with um, men and women and marriage, or we could. Yeah, I guess. Talk more about.
0: As, as far as the um, men and women in marriage and the men in the, uh, out of the house and women out of the house, are, I, that's a, I think that's a very different view, specifically that quote which said, you know, man brings wealth into the house and the woman basically decides how to keep it or whether it should be thrown away. Uh, it's the woman who manages the goods of the house and controls whether that wealth increases or is merely thrown away. Mm-hmm. And like, so... This is a, he's positing or whoever's written this has, is positing this is a fact or, you know, true and most generally true. Do you agree with that? Do you feel like your wife manages the household?
1: I, I think the way we, we have things set up right now, that's, that's fairly, that's a fairly accurate division of labor. Hmm. But then I was, I was thinking about the problem of 31 woman who you have, Stuff like she considers a field and buys it.
0: You're saying your wife wouldn't just buy some property and like, hey, Kyle, just want you to know we now have a farm. We'd, we'd probably talk about that first. <laughs> okay. So the interesting thing about Proverbs
1: 31, which I think is a pretty good as, It's a Proverbs 31. I've heard it said is, is written to a young man to help him understand what he should be, what traits he should be looking for as he's looking for a spouse. I don't know if that's what your understanding is. or
0: Yeah, it was written by, do we know who it was written by? I feel like there's a, does it say at the beginning?
1: It says, the sayings of King Lemuel, um, who I think is generally, that's generally understood to be a different name for Solomon, an inspired utterance his mother taught him.
0: Okay. I had the idea that Bathsheba was the one who wrote that, but that may or may not be the case. Was Bathsheba Solomon's mom? Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: That that was a big deal. Mhm. But that's that's a story for another time. So we'll pick that up at another time.
0: Or we, yeah.
1: But one of the things I'm noticing looking at Proverbs 31 is a lot of it does deal with the household, providing food for her, for the family. The field and the vineyard are associated with the household the The trading is bringing in goods from afar to the household, and her husband is in the city gate, at the city gate.
0: And that was a old timey way of saying. I thought that was where like meetings happened and decisions were made, like that kind of thing, at the at the city gate.
1: Yeah, business business and politics. Business and politics.
0: Okay. Would that even be where, like, judgments were made, like court was held? Right, right. Huh. interesting.
1: I mean, I don't think we have a place that, I mean, maybe the the county courthouse would function as that in our day, but I, I think you have more going on there than just the county courthouse. But a lot of the institutions we see at the county courthouse today would be at the city gate, I think. Just looking at Ruth and what happens with, with that story, with Boaz and mm-hmm. the other um, potential redeemer.
0: Did they have police? Really? I guess it was just the kings, like it was the guards, kind of, it was a... Well,
1: you have to ask the question of what what, you're, you're talking about Israel, right? Sure. So, it depends on what part of Israel's history you're at, because in the time of the judges, right, everyone did as he saw fit. But then you get to King Solomon's day, and one of the things that the people bring up to King Rehoboam when he's being established is that your father had people overseeing us and they were pretty harsh and we would like you to dial it back. Mm -hmm. We would like you to dial back the brutality.
0: And that's when Rehoboam says, yeah, that seems reasonable. And he dials it back and everything is great. Oh wait, no, no, he did the opposite.
1: He listened to the young men. He did not listen to the wise older men who had advised his father.
0: Mm -hmm. That's right, okay. So, so in that part of Israel's history, they would have had some kind of police or at least someone acting that way. Yeah.
1: It seems like someone was acting that way, but I also just thinking about, it it seems like capital, it seems like punishment was far more vicious and swift in those days.
0: Mm. Yeah. We could, uh, we could jump back to, do you want to talk more about the, uh, the justice system I had? I was listening to, um, people talk from the the innocence project which is about essentially about getting people who are wrongly on death row off
1: oh yeah i just read something about how well uh, kamala harris was terrible um, terrible is basically
0: it um
1: but there was some guy who had some dna evidence that could have cleared him and she
0: refused said yep nope I i refused to look at that and then i don't know if it was her or a different one a different case that they were talking about but the basically like a lab tech or somebody who so the state had requested the dna evidence for a particular case it would have cleared the defendant and they didn't bring it up in court and like 15-ish years later or something a lab tech or somebody basically somebody who had Done the test, gave it to his attorney, right? The defendant's attorney, something along those lines. And they got him out, and then that judgment was overruled because he didn't request the sample himself. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. So so which when you and I talked about the justice system last time, you had essentially been in favor of capital punishment. Right. So what percent is an acceptable number for innocent people put to death by the justice system. 0. Okay, then you you cannot be in favor of capital punishment except as a idealistic exer- exercise.
1: So, if if someone is literally caught in the act on the testimony of two or three witnesses, I especially with DNA evidence, And all the tools we have at our disposal to confirm or deny Mm -hmm. that someone was somewhere and doing the things that they are alleged to have done. I I think you have to either let people go free on that evidence or if someone has taken someone's life in a premeditated way Mm -hmm. and you can demonstrate that then capital punishment should should exist but we shouldn't have this intermediate state where we we're not sure so we're just going to lock this person away for a really long time i think that person if if you're not sure that person should go free
0: what about people who wait 3 to 5 years and sit in jail for a hearing
1: that's that's a that's a huge problem with our justice system
0: yeah our, our justice system is not really designed for the quantity of people that are I don't know we need justice I mean we I'm I'm a pretty strong proponent of like our laws and how we police need to change pretty drastically I think we'll fall apart if it doesn't change
1: well, I mean one of the things I've noticed is actually out my window at work I can see an apartment complex and it's once or twice a week this police car ends up rolling into the same apartment complex rolling up to the same apartment. And it just seems like a waste of police resources to be have them doing that. It, it, that that strikes me. I mean, I don't know exactly what's going on, but that strikes me as something that someone who's more of a social worker, who's more of a person involved in conflict resolution, I guess what I'm imagining is you have some dispute constantly going on in this apartment that is
0: leading... Like a... Uh... Leading to, like, verbal, like, shouting and...
1: Yeah, yeah. That is leading to the police getting called to it, which I don't think is a good use of the police or taxpayer funds to...
0: I mean, or if the police are going to get called, then they need to be well-trained in conflict resolution and de-escalation.
1: I think there should be two different... I think that's a lot to ask of one person... Sure. I mean, maybe I mean, how many different hats do we wear in our jobs?
0: Mm, I mean, would you say you just wear one?
1: Not one, but I think the skill set associated with dealing with a potentially violent criminal and the skill set associated with handling a family dispute that's gotten out of hand are are not necessarily the same skill set, and expecting the same person to do both I, I is disagree. maybe not the best.
0: I think okay. de-escalation is would essentially be using pretty similar techniques in both both areas. You'd be, you know, you're, you would be resolving a conflict of, you know, a potentially very violent conflict with on the one hand and then the other. You know, and, and, and I do think that there should be, basically, you've got a concern that there's violence there. That's why the cop is called, right?
1: Right, right. So you there, ha- there is a danger to someone's life.
0: Potentially. You don't know, though, because, you know, an argument when we lived in an apartment and they moved furniture above us, it sounded violent <laughs> like
1: because they're. But would you have called the police because someone was moving furniture?
0: No, my point is not that I would call the police, but the sounds are amplified in that kind of quarters and what um, it maybe sounds much more violent than it is. I don't know, right? But but my my point was that the cop is being called because there's the potential for violence. Once the cop gets there, realizes that this is actually just like a relationship dispute of some kind and that nobody is in nobody is basically being required to go into custody because it's not at that stage yet, then he right. should be able to have a different resource that he calls to bring in and say, "All right, like that's I mean
1: yeah well well that was exactly my point is it should be a different resource it shouldn't be the cop who's then doing intermediate doing mediation between the family they should have a different resource to bring in
0: yeah okay I see what you're saying I was thinking more in the immediate de-escalation okay
1: see that seems more like and that makes sense to me so you have the police officer should at least be trained in sort of triage Mm, if you're taking sort of an the, the, the police officer should have basic first aid training. They do, but but well, well okay. So I'm using this as an analogy. Oh, I see. Whereas I see. whereas you aren't going to expect the police officer to do brain surgery
0: or intubation, even. Right, right. You're
1: uh, yeah. You're you're going to bring in the paramedic it, if you're taking like the EMT, paramedic, doctor mm-hmm. um, analog. You would have the same sort of analog for the police force
0: yeah yeah and i i mean i have uh, yeah the more that i listen to different perspectives on the justice system that we have and how i mean something else i learned recently which you may uh, yeah i don't know so how long all right so bail basically works by you get uh essentially accused or um charged with a crime and then you're in jail unless you can pay you know you get then you go to a bail hearing and you pay the bail and then you get the money back if you can't or if you show up on your court date okay so that has not been the case for very long like it's only been uh i think it's only been what used to be the case you would pay the fee if you didn't show up to court not the other way around you didn't pay up front you paid you basically got a fee the same way you get a parking ticket or a parking t- or a, like a speeding ticket where it comes in the mail after you've been, well, okay. Speeding ticket. You might, um, you might get cited right there, but I think you also get something in the mail later.
1: When and why did that change? Cause that seems like a really bizarre change to me.
0: Um, it happened. The laws, I don't know exactly what the rationale was, It was shortly after the Jim Crow laws were like outlawed, um, people who, so it was in the 60s. Uh no, it was before that. What am I thinking of? I think it was around the turn of the ni- uh the 20th into the 20th century. Okay, when you said
1: recent, I thought you meant like turn of the 21st century. But but still, that that doesn't no. sound like a good
0: No, I said 100 point. years. I meant to say 100 years. Oh, okay. Um, got it. I missed that, sorry. No, it's, it's fine. Um but it just it makes Like that, there's kind of an undue, and those, uh, yeah, there's an undue burden on, I mean, if you had a bail to, if you had to produce bail for something, unless it was exorbitant, you could probably pay it. Right. And, but people who are poor, who, you know, there's a huge amount of Americans who can, couldn't come up with $400 if they needed to, and, and, you know, if they needed to,
1: which. That's a whole nother conversation that we could have on here.
0: It's a whole nother conversation, but with bail, like, if you can't come up with $400, and you have bail set at $1,000, you basically have to go to a bail bondsman, and then you pay $100, you pay 10% of that, regardless of whether you show up for your hearing or not. That's how bail bondsmen make money. They put up your money, or, yeah. Do you think
1: local churches should get involved in basically interest-free bail bonds. This idea just popped into my head.
0: I am not against that. You could essentially do that with... Yeah, so the other piece is, is that uh, 97, roughly 97% of people take a plea within three days of being in jail. Because they want to get out. Because they want to get out. And they're like, and then so they agree, and then they're like, we'll just figure it out later, and then they don't.
1: Right, and then they have a felony on their record. Um, Yeah,
0: misdemeanor felony, whatever it is, like, then you have a record. And it's like... They didn't do anything. I mean, there's actually, it's a, it's a and it's actually a similar percentage of people, because, yeah, people who, of the suits that are filed that take a plea, especially in the criminal, like most, most, um, most cases don't go to trial.
1: Well, I mean, I'm just going back to the church thing. I mean, can you imagine what a powerful ministry that would be if some, someone gets wrongly accused and go, and you have, uh, phone number or something at the at the courthouse saying hey if you need bail money call this uh church's deacon over here and they'll they'll listen to your story and if they think that um you're someone who's who has legitimate need for uh, a bail bail money that'll get refunded once you get have your court date um they'll they'll give you the loan you the money interest free and then you don't have to go to jail and then that person now has a contact in the Christian community
0: yeah yeah that would I be mean, that'd sure. be pretty fantastic cuz that would be that would be quite the uh quite the ministry
1: right and and i'm sure you're going to have some instances where um the person isn't on the up and up and the church ends up eating it spending yeah eating it but there're going to be a lot of people who are kept from having a record, kept from having to spend time in jail, kept from having to have what little they have eaten up by a bail bondsman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. I'd never thought of that. Yeah. Mostly because I didn't know what the system was. But
0: I didn't. I mean, until I heard the people talk from the Innocence Project, I didn't either. Kyle, your fancy microphone thing fell.
1: The pot filter is
0: back if you can call it that is it a tissue it's a kleenex <laughs> <laughs> oh well and oh, what's it sitting on uh just a dowel
1: craft foam well it's in it on a dowel that's stuck into craft foam
0: was that wiki how
1: uh no this was kyle how
0: He just you just put it together and decided it might work yeah uh something i have been something that is not um near as heavy as our broken justice system is tiny habits yeah i've been wanting to hear more about that yeah so uh there's there's kind of two main uh parts of of so be, it's a fantastic book it's probably my favorite book on habit um and a, a not too distant but not not right at the same level is you know atomic habits and there's another one by i think charles duhig um, the power tiny, of habit. The power of habit, yeah. That one's very good as well. Um, but tiny habits. So when you think about establishing a habit, what is kind of the main... Like, what have you heard from basically everybody whenever it's like, well, okay, what do you need to do in order to establish a habit?
1: I need to set up an environment that's conducive to repeating the habit multiple times in a certain amount of time.
0: Okay, so what... I heard there that was that I hear everywhere because I don't hear that. I don't hear the thing about environment. I hear the repetition. You got to do it. You know, there's a. It's for a long time, it was really common. You just need to do it 21 days in a row. You're good to go. Uh, and sometimes it's like, oh, well, I think in a topic habits, he said six times. You know, there's some habits that get established as few as six times. And then it could be 150 times that you have to do it in order to really establish it. Well, in order to... So, so the main... One of the main points of the book is that you change best when you, when you feel good. You change most when you feel good about the change that you've made. So you can actually establish a habit after once if you have a strong uh, positive feeling when you do that the first time. Because your brain will remind you. Because your brain wants to feel happy. So your brain will remind you to do the thing if you feel good when you do it that first time or that second time. And then as you do it more and continue to feel good, it will naturally kind of... Yeah.
1: That is a powerful insight.
0: Yeah. And it... it, it Like it tracks, right? So... I've heard people say you can get addicted to alcohol after the first time, or cigarettes after the first time, right? And yeah, yeah. and other, and other things, right? Heroin in particular. Um, and it's like, well, you didn't have to do that 21 days in a row in order to get hooked, right? Like those are two different. It's like pathways. Well, I mean, heroin releases a crazy amount of dopamine, which is a naturally re- occurring chemical in our brain. It just does it at, at just such significant levels. You feel so good when you or are you saying you're saying it's an entirely different pathway as far as like the nicotine or the alcohol? Oh, sorry. I,
1: I was using pathway to refer to relying on the positive feeling versus relying on the brute force repetition.
0: Mhm. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, So, I mean, I think you're a lot more al- likely to have a drinking problem if you start out, I mean, if you if you feel really good when you're doing it. When you, if you associate like a really strong friendship, like, you know, you you and your buddies go out drinking all the time and that's the only time you have a really good time. It's like, well, then you're going to you're going to kind of you're going to look for you're going to associate the good feelings with friends, because I don't think alcohol actually releases any dopamine by itself. It's a depressant. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, this is getting pretty far out of my, uh one, away from the topic I actually wanted to talk about, and two, <laughs> I don't know how brain chemistry works. So,
1: so does it work in reverse, too? So if you make yourself miserable while you're doing a habit you're trying to break?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, that actually, so that surprised me. He spent a chapter talking about that towards the end, and that wasn't something that had occurred to me. So if you're, so he actually, uh, he doesn't like the phrase breaking a habit because when you break something, you apply enough force and then it snaps, right? But when you have a bad habit or a bad way of thinking, usually it's 10 or 10, let's just say 10 different habits, 10 behaviors. He doesn't even use the word habits that much in this book um so there's how behaviors happen is there's an anchor that your behavior is tied to the behavior itself and then reinforcement or celebration so abc anchor behavior celebration so as you're trying to create things um and there's a couple of different axes that he uses one is um, ability and motivation so um if you are trying to and there's an action line, right? If something, if you're really highly motivated, you can do something that's very difficult. Like when you're starting a diet on January first, you can basically make yourself do anything for a few days, and then your motivation decreases and
1: yeah, your energy store basically. Runs but you out. have it if you haven't. Muscle de- gets tired.
0: Yep. And it, but if you don't just dis- decrease the ability, then or like decrease the difficulty as your motivation decreases, then you you don't continue essentially because you're too far on the side of this action won't happen and then so if you're trying to untangle a bad habit you will look for ways to there's like five um different kind of ways that you can make a habit more difficult or more easy depending on whether you're trying to create it or stop it so time money physical effort mental effort and routine um so if you Make it cost more money. So if you're wanting to eat like less ice cream, then instead of getting a good deal on ice cream, you're like, well, the only time I'm going to eat ice cream is if we go to an ice cream shop and it's ten dollars per whatever. Maybe that's enough to, yeah. That's
1: oh, that's that's describing a lot of the ways I yeah I, I approach desserts and alcohol. Yeah. Is it only generally I try and only have really good versions of them, and mm-hmm. so I don't want to spend a lot of money on. It.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, if the only time that you if you refuse to have food that's bad for you in your fridge or cupboards and the only time that you'll eat it is if you're out with friends or you like go to the store, you can buy whatever you want. But then you have to throw it out and you know that you have to throw it out. Then you've added additional time. Let's say that let's say that for me, this isn't the case, but chips were like my Achilles heel. But the only time I'd have chips is if I go to the store and then throw the (laughs) throw the ones out I don't eat, or if I'm at a party or at a get-together and I just refuse to have it in the house, then I've added time, and maybe that's enough to make it difficult. That's kind of what I was talking about when I'm trying to be more productive at work. I can go around I can get around it really easily. But it's enough of a like, oh, I remember why I'm doing this, or I remember that I'm doing this. And I have a really specific anchor that triggers every time like every hour basically and then i have to wait half an hour or i you know whatever it is does that make sense
1: yeah i mean it sounds like a more fully fleshed out version of environment which james clear talked about in atomic habits
0: yeah and i would say that uh the um yeah i would say that he expands a certain part of james clear's atomic habits out into a, a, a you know it's a 200 250 page book whatever it is but And it's kind of like James Clear book in that the margins are wide and the... um, I was going to ask. The font. But I listened to it, to be honest. I ended up buying it after I listened to it, though. Like, I I bought it on Audible and then I bought a physical book. I want to read it with my wife.
1: That sounds really good. Yeah. Okay, I have an extreme hypothetical example question. Okay. So
0: let's say I have I I haven't talked about tininess at all yet, but go on.
1: Okay. Let's say this is on the vein of making yourself miserable so you stop breaking habit let's say I had a habit of angrily yelling at my wife if 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 I had a shock collar on and she shocked me every time I started to angrily yell would that in essence based on what he said in this book break me of that habit no okay and I was curious as to whether that that would be the answer and I'm curious what would change that no into a yes and also why is that a no?
0: The reason that it's a no. Well, first, your habit of getting angry, like that's too broad. That's not a real habit. That's a result. I said oh, yelling
1: sorry. at my wife. Yelling. Yeah. The habit is yelling at my wife.
0: Um and even that I don't think is a habit that is specific enough to break. Okay, got so, it. So 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 Let's say you could maybe be more specific and say um, getting angry and yelling with my wife after work, right? Or you, you like you, I need I need more context around it in order to like. Okay.
1: What about jumping on the phone and scrolling through Facebook? Yeah. Let's so... say that's a habit. Okay. And then.
0: Yeah, my the, the wife getting angry, shocked, yelling shocked with me. <laughs> well, there's right. You change best. I... You change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad.
1: Oh, okay. So it's. But what about the component where you said being miserable breaks – or not breaks, but redirects habits? Yeah,
0: I was more – I I probably was just excited and agreed with you, even in what I thought you meant, which was um, the ways that you build habits are also the ways you do the opposite. Maybe miserable does work. I don't know. He doesn't talk about that. But those five pieces of the uh, ability chain – time, money – physical effort mental effort and routine basically what you do is you make it cost more time you make it cost more money instead of when you're building you're doing the opposite um if it's a physical ability like yeah like it's like you don't know how to do the thing or you aren't practiced at it and then um mental like um, that one is not as clear as some of the other ones Um, probably some of the journaling exercises that I have require some physical or mental ability rather. Um, and then the routine is like, um, you don't like, it doesn't, you know, for, for everybody on our, on our growth group or work group, um, you have, uh, it fits into the routine, like it, it kind of fits into the routine of. It doesn't interrupt their work schedule or their time with their wives. Some of us like getting up earlier better than others, so it doesn't fit into everybody's routine that way.
1: Some of us think getting up earlier is better for us than others.
0: <laughs> um. Anyway, so then what you do with those five things if you're trying to break a habit? Um, and then let's say it's scrolling. If you, there's a couple ways that you can break or untangle a habit one is if you if you usually scroll around the same time let's say right before you go to sleep maybe a tiny habit that you build is putting your phone on you know ready to it's charging in a different room and you do that at 8 every night
1: which is creating a cost of time because you have to go find it
0: mm-hmm. yeah but you know it could be yeah it's that it's just that little bit of extra time if you usually do it right when you get home maybe what you do is create a tiny habit of walking around the block without your phone. First thing you do when you get home and, and how you would do that is the anchor would be turning my car off or not even turning your car off. Um, maybe setting my backpack on, on the hooks and then walking out the front door. So the anchor behavior, and then you have to celebrate, like you have to be excited about, he talks about, he spends an entire chapter on celebration and it sounds really hokey, and he basically says, if this sounds really hokey to you, you have to find something that works or this whole, like, if you can't create that good feeling, if you can't feel good about what you're doing, none of this works. You can't, you can't just feel really awkward doing the celebration and think that it'll be fine.
1: Awkward celebrations are a no-no.
0: Yeah. Cause you're, you're then you're not actually celebrating. So for me, one of the celebrations that works best is... Uh, smiling it doesn't yeah I could see that because smiling
1: actually does release dopamine
0: (laughs) yeah but when I'm by myself it doesn't feel like too much whereas like jumping up and down and uh, like a fist pump or what I don't know whatever like he he recommends or he he goes through he's got a pdf that you can download that's got two or three hundred of them and some of them are way over the top for me some of them are fine but anyway I'm really excited about it. I think I think I would love to go through it with you guys, though, once we're done with the little book on the Christian life. Yeah.
1: That C, I think, is the thing that I'm picking up out of what you've described from that book. The celebration is mm-hmm. a, an area of, of habits that I think it was, it's was. it been in the power of habit. It's been in Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been developed as fully as is necessary to for me to internalize it. Yeah. So... I'm excited to look for ways to implement that in my own life. So thanks for sharing that, Daniel. hmm
0: Yeah. Um, is there... We've been talking... Normally, we don't stay so on topic. But you and wanted to stop... Oh, go on.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, and we didn't have something to keep us on topic.
0: Maybe this works better. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Whatever it was, it worked well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but normally, we make jokes. Uh, This is Daniel here. If you like the podcast, please find a stray dog, tie a note to it, recommending us. We'd really appreciate it. You can also email us at socraticobbits at gmail.com or release a Chinese lantern into the sky. It'll find its way. Thanks for listening.